Welcome to Cancer Care Connections. On this week's episode, Cheryl spoke with Dr. Christopher Paschold, oncologist and hematologist for Virginia Oncology Associates. Dr. Paschold shares his expertise on the latest in cancer treatment and screening for non-small cell lung cancer. He emphasizes the risk factors involved in developing this cancer, the importance early detection plays in improving outcomes, and the importance of screening for those at high risk. Dr. Christopher Paschel joins us today. He specializes in treating patients with head, neck, and lung cancer. He's a recipient of a variety of awards, including being invited into the Life Sciences Honors Program at North Carolina State University. He represents Virginia Oncology Associates as a member of the Sarah Cannon Lung Research Committee. He arrived at Virginia Oncology Associates in 2003. Dr. Paschel, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to talk with you. And you. I know this is something you see on a daily basis. And we're talking about non-small cell lung cancer. What do you see in your office related to this disease? Well, we see a variety of uh, stages, um, early stage, late stage um, the problem with lung cancers is a lot of times they're asymptomatic for long periods of time. Um, don't give a lot of warning signs necessarily early. Uh, and we see more and more later than we like in later stage disease than we'd like to see. But that's that's mostly what we see and see several a week, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. But as far as risk factors, who are the people who should be paying attention loved ones of people who should be paying attention as well. Yeah, good question. I mean, the big one, obviously, is smoking. Um, and there's a correlate to how many pack years you smoked as to increasing risk. Uh, there are other risk factors. Uh, radon is one. Uh, pollution, we think, is probably contributory. Um, I still think there's probably a little risk for people who grew up in a house of smokers. Uh, that's not as well studied. But I know as we were talking before this podcast episode is even though the numbers you're seeing is declining over the years, yes. it's still a large number of patients you see. Yeah, there's about 250,000 new cases in the U.S. a year. Um, and there's estimated about 500,000 current survivors that are alive in the U.S. It's the third leading cause of uh, cancer in the U.S. and the first in, in the world. So it's, it's un quite common. You mentioned that people come into your office later than you would like to see. Yes. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think a lot of times lung cancers can be fairly asymptomatic since there's not a lot of, you know, it's mostly air in the lungs, so there's not a lot of warning signs and people will show up sometimes if it's spread and they develop pain. Sometimes there'll be some coughing of blood or worsening shortness of breath. Recently, in the past couple of years, we've started instituting CT screening for lung cancer, which is a, a good tool. It's basically now covered by all insurances. Uh, anybody who's over 50 and smoked for 20 years is a candidate. Um, and like I said, it's covered and we're hoping we'll start to see a migration. And I think we already are starting to see a migration to earlier stages, which obviously the earlier you catch it, the more likely you're going to cure it. And so going back to the screening, where would somebody go to get that type of screening? Do they start with you or do they go somewhere else to get that? T typically now it's uh, through their PCP. Uh, they can probably self-refer to some places, but it's been added to most of the templates, you know, 
Have you had your mammogram? Have you had your colonoscopy? Are you at risk for lung cancer? So usually the primary care doctor will do it. Occasionally I'll see patients who might have another medical problem, and then I'll ask them about their smoking history, and they'll meet the criteria, and I'll send them. But typically it's through their primary care physician. But like I said, it's been covered. It's now all insurance, including Medicare, is paying. And it's actually, by test, it's a much bigger lifesaver since lung cancers deadlier than other cancers. It's much, saves a lot more lives per scan than a mammogram or a colonoscopy. And so I want to go back to that. And you were saying that if you see people later, then the chance is greater that they don't have a good outcome. Correct. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Typically, if the patient's a higher stage, like a stage three or four, they're treatable and sometimes long-term survival is possible. Uh, but it's a lot harder, you know, it involves chemotherapy, radiation, sometimes just chemotherapy alone. So we obviously prefer to, if, if someone's going to have it, to get it early. But we still see a lot of later stages and our treatments have improved substantially in the past five years, but it's, it's a tougher fight. As far as advances in treatment, what have you noticed? What have you seen? What has worked? Well, yeah, the, well one big one's been immunotherapy. These are drugs that sort of turn on the immune system and help kill the cancer versus chemotherapy, which directly kills the cancer cells. Um, we've seen a nice big jump in molecular studies where we're actually digging deeper into the tumor itself, finding pathways that allow us to use uh, targeted therapies, oral drugs. Um, some are very treatable and uh, minimal toxicity. So that's that's been a nice change. We're up to about 30 percent or so of patients we don't have to necessarily go straight to chemotherapy on. And as far as quality of life, much better. I mean, the 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 result of that is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. So as far as patients, and you know, we talk about on on this podcast quite a bit about patients sort of being their own advocates. Yes, a lot of the the experts we've talked to here on the show have really talked about the patients sticking up for themselves and making sure that they're following through. Right. What can they do? If they feel like they're at risk, how can they help themselves? I think that well, the big one to start is the screening exam. If they meet those criteria, and even if people have quit smoking for less than 15 years, they're still covered. It's an annual test, uh, fairly painless, 10, 15 minutes in a CT scanner. If they have the risk factors, they definitely want to talk to a, a provider about starting that process. Obviously, the biggest thing they can do to advocate for themselves is to not smoke or quit smoking as far as reducing the risk and, and having family members help out and trying to encouraging if a, they have a smoking family member to stop and, and get screened is the big ones. And if they have concerning uh, respiratory problems and see their primary care physician as well. Well, we know that people listening to this podcast, it could be the patient, it could be the family of that patient. What kind of resources would you offer to those family members to kind of help on this? Because it is—it's not an easy thing, right? It really, isn't. right? I know a lot of uh, I know Santera and others have a smoking cessation classes. Um, primary care physicians, there's a few uh, prescription medications that can help with that. Uh, there's nicotine replacement, so there are tools, uh, and there's some. And there's plenty in the community smoking cessation uh, classes, but it really has to start. Primarily with the patient. If he or she's not really going to commit to it, then it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. In many things, right? That's life. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 
Uh, what is the, the message for them? Uh, well, you know, get screened, uh, you know, advocate for yourself. Like you said, there's a lot of resources. The American Cancer Society, if you're diagnosed, your healthcare provider. Uh, there's a group called Longevity that also has a good website and chats and support groups that you can do uh, after the diagnosis. Um, but be, yeah, advocate for yourself, get screened. If you do have the diagnosis, uh, be involved with your care. Know what the latest treatment options are. Seek out extra opinions if needed. Those are the the big ones after the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you would mention seeking extra opinions because I think it feels like the diagnosis is the diagnosis, but sometimes getting other views can help. You can get to the next point. The clinical trials are out there that we offer some other places offer different ones. Um, We always encourage if patients want to get another opinion, you know, that's always their, their duty, but most patients with the way data moves now, we stay pretty up to date on what's available. And, you know, between uh, medical societies and you know, pharmaceutical companies, if, if a new treatment becomes available, then we know about it pretty much as quickly as anyone else. We know that at Virginia Oncology Associates, they're on the cutting edge. Right. And, and so can you talk about some things that are kind of on the horizon for yeah. those with lung cancer? Yeah, sure. There's more and more genetic testing being done on tumors, and I think that's going to translate to better therapies. Uh, we have a, a new clinical trial that's looking at standard treatment versus a little bit more novel um, drug-related. It's a, it's a chemotherapy, but it's bound to a target that actually gets into the lung cancer cells better. That works. We just started here. Um, I think hopefully we'll start seeing a migration towards earlier cases if if the screening picks up. It's already estimated if if it gets implemented well, it'll save tens of thousands of lives per year just by doing that. Uh, we still treat, sometimes get involved with treatment with earlier lung cancer patients with surgery after surgery. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll start to see that change on the horizon as well. And, and there has been a nice drop in smoking. Um, about three or four years ago was the first time that the cancer-related deaths in the U.S. had went down and they continued to decline. And most of that was because of the, the decline in the death of you know, pe- people passing away from lung cancer. Um, so that's a, a very positive thing. And it's linked to better treatments. It's linked to less smoking. And I think we'll start to see more with screening. I would say that having conversations like this helps as yes. we talk about the repercussions, the, the consequences right. of not getting the screening and continuing to smoke. Yeah, those are the best things you can do to try and help yourself, for sure. Can you walk me through a patient's journey after that patient has been diagnosed? Sure. And a little bit depends on sort of where things are at. If it's caught early, it usually, um, like let's say, for example, with the screening CT scan, they find a smallish lung nodule. Typically, we follow by some sort of biopsy, either uh, they can be biopsied with the CT guidance or through bronchoscopy, where they go down in the patient's lung and look around and take biopsies. Then it becomes a little more stage dependent. Stage one is if you just have a small tumor that's typically referred to surgery and removed, and now they're doing less invasive lung surgeries than they used to. They're using robotic-based uh, surgery, so it's a quicker recovery. Um, still a, a tougher surgery, but people are getting through it quicker. Uh, stage two disease, so if you have a tumor with an involved lymph node, typically will be either a little chemotherapy, then surgery, or surgery, then chemotherapy. Stage three is more lymph nodes, and that's typically sometimes chemotherapy and surgery or chemotherapy radiation and some follow-up on that. Immunotherapy, which we give after that, which is newer. Stage four, unfortunately, if it's spread, typically is just chemotherapy or targeted therapies and immunotherapy-based. So it's really where you sort of catch it uh, in, in the diagnosis. 
And it has a little bit to do, there's different subtypes of non-small cell lung cancer that kind of tweak the treatment options a bit. You mentioned earlier that you tend to see patients who are toward the later end. Correct. Where do you normally see them? It typically is stage two, three, and four. We still see a lot of stage four disease. And I think some of that is just um, patients maybe putting off getting seen or maybe not having the resources to get seen in a timely fashion, which is always something we hate to see. Um, but I, I still think that's part of it. And, and even with successful surgeries, some people's cancer comes back two, three, four, five years down the road and you end up having to treat it some other way. We've been talking about lung cancer and the not so great outcomes when you diagnose someone in a late stage, but I know you have a, a story of hope. Yeah, there's a lot out there now, especially with uh, immunotherapy. Uh, when I was being trained, the survival for stage four lung cancer was less than a year in general. That's greatly increased with immunotherapy. And I have several patients who are five, six years into the diagnosis and, and appear to be free of disease. Um, there's actually in the com lung cancer community talk about maybe curing stage four lung cancer, which was unheard of, at least in a small subset of patients. But now we're seeing, and I see routinely people who are well into their diagnosis and, and basically on scans and lifestyle leading pretty normal lives, just coming to the office once a month for a one hour infusion and going about their life. So it's been a, it's been a great change. That's incredible. Can oh, yeah. you talk more about the medicine of that, the immunotherapy itself? Sure. Yeah, uh, we always sort of knew the immune system played a role in cancer surveillance, and part of cancer is probably eluding that. Immunotherapy, and there's several out there, um, basically work by, for lack of a better term, the, the cancer cloaks itself to the immune system. And these drugs uncloak the cancer, if you will, and allow your body's immune system to go after it. Uh, and they, they've really changed the landscape, not only for lung cancer, but a lot of cancers and made a huge impact on uh, improving quality of life, improving survival. Uh, and there's more on the horizon, combinations, newer drugs. So it's just getting started. But in the past four or five years, it's been a huge improvement for, for lung cancer patients. So a lot more to be optimistic and hopeful about. That's exciting. It is very exciting. And as far as Clinical trials or things happening here at Virginia Oncology Associates, are there anything related to immunotherapy for lung cancer here? We have one that we just opened that, that uses standard immunotherapy with chemo versus uh, a little different chemo with Im a different immunotherapy drug. That just started. Um, and then we're looking at a few more for different cancers at different stages of the or phases of the diagnosis. Who is eligible for these clinical trials, for these new treatments? Well, the, the uh, immunotherapy has been FDA-approved and around for several years now, so that's pretty much all comers. There's certain criteria that you have to have to get it at certain points of the diagnosis, but that's really accessible to anyone. Um, the clinical trials, they do usually have certain criteria because they have to have a fairly strict entry points to make sure that the patients that are getting, being looked at are similar to a degree. But we talk to most of our patients if they have a clinical trial option about you know, being involved. And then we have our research coordinators really do a deep dive into their medical records and see if they are a candidate. And if so, then maybe go on to the study. This conversation is about non-small cell lung cancer, yes. but there are other types of lung cancer. Can you talk a little sure. bit about that as well? Yeah, there's a, a small cell lung cancer, which makes up about 15% of the lung cancer we see treated a little differently. It's a little bit more aggressive, uh, tends to show up a little later. That one has a pretty high propensity to smoking, uh, smokers. So that's one. And, and occasionally you'll see cancers that 
spread to the lung to start elsewhere. So those are ones that you have to sort of figure out where they came from uh, and then treat it appropriately. When you think about lung cancer, you typically think about the smoker who is diagnosed with it. But we have talked about a small percentage who have never smoked at all and still get it. What is the message to them and how do they even get tested when they don't really have any risk factors related to it? Yeah, that is a little harder. Uh, you know, we don't know if it's environmental or other causes related to it, but it's you know, 10 to 15 percent are lighter non-smokers. And the problem there is uh, sometimes even the doctors caring for them, that's not top of their mind because of it. Um, and they wouldn't qualify for screening tests because they don't have the smoking history. It's just if you start to get symptomatic, be your advocate and get checked and don't say if they, they say it's not anything to worry about and it keeps going on, keep pursuing it, you know, if you get anything respiratory-wise. But it is a tough, tougher population just because they don't have access to the screening tools, but people automatically assume that people are smokers, so they get stigmatized to some extent. But there are a, a fair number of patients that never smoked and still unfortunately get lung cancer. And the symptoms are... As small as they are, just coughing? Cough can do it. A change in your uh, stamina. You know, if you get short of breath in an activity you used to be able to do easily uh, and now it's harder. Certainly any coughing up of blood is a, is a red flag. Not always cancer, but something that needs to be evaluated quickly. Um, but those are, yeah, those are big ones. Dr. Zerthing, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I think you've hit it all. I think just be your advocate. You know, help, help yourself stop smoking if you are and get help early if you need it. Dr. Paschal, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of Cancer Care Connections. Stay tuned for our next episode where Cheryl will sit down with Dr. Graham Watson, oncologist and hematologist for Virginia Oncology Associates. Dr. Watson will discuss the novel therapies in cancer treatment, immunotherapy and target therapy, and how they differ from the more well-known cancer treatment, chemotherapy. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast via Apple Podcast, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available. Or listen online at cancercareconnections.buzzsprout.com. Cancer Care Connections is the official podcast of Virginia Oncology Associates. For more information, visit us at virginiacancer.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Virginia Oncology Associates.